It wasn't until his last year at Oxford that he took an omnibus to Piccadilly Circus for the first time, having heard rumours that he hadn't been able to put out of his mind. It was late, and he walked aimlessly for a while, feeling silly and thinking that the best thing in the world would be to go home. Then a young man, not younger than some of the boys at Oxford, he told himself, his conscience prickling, leaned casually against a wall in front of him and smiled. "'Would you fancy a drink with me?' Ned asked, surprised that he could find his voice at all. "'Gladly, Gov,' the boy said. "'You look like a generous sort.' "'I expect you know a place,' Ned said, and when the boy led the way with business-like haste, Ned followed him with his heart pounding. Afterwards, back in his rooming house and having endured a lecture from his landlady about students who came in at all hours smelling of drink, he had curled up on his bed in a tired and unhappy heap, wishing more than anything that he could talk to Julian about it. That was the last thing he could do, though, as he felt sure that whatever Julian was up to with his friends, he wouldn't sink so low as to pay someone for what should surely be freely given. They talked a bit about the ancient Greeks and their eristai and their eromanoi, and he'd never felt further from their ideal of heroic love. What he couldn't deny he felt was physically satisfied, in a way that he hadn't been since the last year they were in school. He hadn't been aware of how intense his frustration was until it was slaked, and now the idea of returning to it seemed hard to bear. And that was what marriage would be, unless he broke his vows in the most unspeakable of ways. Besides, he was starting to suspect that despite the advice of the most reputable medical authorities, most young women of his acquaintance actually did have some expectations in the marriage bed. He hadn't noticed a complete lack of passion on the part of Oxford women, and while perhaps their unusual intellectual development led to overdevelopment in that area as well, he wasn't sure any of them would take well to celibacy in marriage. It was surprisingly painful to give up the idea of ever having a settled home of his own, but the idea of a marriage full of painful scenes or bitter coldness was far worse. No, better to put that firmly away, face a life as a confirmed bachelor, and find what compensations there might be. If he couldn't marry, he might at least find someone of similar tastes for company. He couldn't think of anyone he knew except Julian, but as Julian was the one he wanted most, that hadn't seemed to be a problem. He'd set about trying to rekindle their friendship, and had been rewarded gratifyingly soon by finding himself in Julian's bed, being introduced to considerably more advanced vices than any they'd tried as schoolboys. Julian's room smelled of dust and stale tea, and his bed smelled of him, and lying in it afterwards, sweaty and sated, felt like coming home. He liked the vices too, and he found himself as passionately devoted to Julian as ever, and it all would have been ideal if he'd thought Julian felt the same way. He was beginning to suspect, though, that Julian found their relations convenient rather than important. Ned was nice-looking and willing and an old friend, but a rather dull one, who needed to be reminded sometimes that he wasn't invited to spend the night, or to consider himself a lover rather than a friend with certain privileges casually extended. Ned tried not to let it make him miserable. It was the way it was, and casual encounters with an old friend were far better than extraordinarily dangerous encounters with a stranger. But being put off for two days, when he had no idea what he'd done wrong, and no idea how he could make it up, was making him very close to miserable anyway. It would have been easy if Julian were a girl. He would have bought her flowers and taken her to tea and flattered her into a better mood. Flowers were out, and Julian was apparently avoiding all invitations to any meal, which left the flattery. He might work along those lines, possibly. 
The remains of his breakfast were stone cold, and he pushed them away in irritation, turning his attention to the newspaper. There wasn't much of great interest, and he was about to fold it up again to tuck into his pocket for his walk to the commons, when a small headline caught his eye. A burglar's hand, or silver's curse. Yard baffled by Nevett murder. He skimmed the story as quickly as he could. It was written with the paper's usual mix of speculation and exaggeration where crime was concerned, but the facts seemed plain enough. Two days after consulting a metaphysician, with fears that the family silver carried a curse, Edgar Nevett was found dead in his study, felled by the heavy silver candlestick that lay bloody at his side.